God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion, in personal or community life. That's good. The Psalms remind us that. We have so many emotions. Probably every emotion represented in the Psalms. John Piper says, The Psalms are songs. They are poems. They are written to awaken and express and shape the emotional life of God's people. Poetry and singing exist because God made us with emotions, not just thoughts. Our emotions are massively important. Now go back. I love that phrase. They are written to awaken and express and shape the emotional life of God's people. Do you know we need help to properly shape our emotions. Sometimes if we're not careful, our emotions can, can kind of get out of whack. I know, I know some people that are very, very passionate people. Sometimes I, I are one. And it's easy sometimes to get led by our emotions instead of leading our emotions. And Psalms are helpful for that. If you find yourself in an emotionally trying time, the Psalms will minister to you, I assure you. I'll talk a little bit about some of that in just a moment. So Psalm chapter 117, shortest chapter in the Bible. So obviously it's the shortest psalm. Verse 1. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol Him, all peoples. For great is His steadfast love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. So Father, tonight... We, along with brothers and sisters all across this world and so many different types of cultures and so many different backgrounds and languages and colors of skin and different types of geography, God, we join them and we praise You tonight. And we proclaim that You are faithful and You are worthy of praise. And we proclaim tonight and we grace, we just thank You, God, for Your grace and we, we proclaim that Your faithfulness endures forever. And we praise You for that. So tonight, God, I just ask You to open up our minds, open up our hearts, help us to understand Your Word, to rightly divide it, and to apply it and live it out I pray that tonight we would be encouraged. I pray that tonight we'd be challenged. I pray that tonight we would be just reminded and that that, that flame of, of, of burning love and passion for You would be fanned as we examine how big and how good You are. I pray, God, that You would use tonight to awaken our, our, our soul and our emotions and our passions to shape them for the things that You are passionate about so that we would be serious to proclaim Your goodness to the nations. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all might think that every time I preach, I'm going to preach on evangelism and sharing the gospel with the nations, but I'm telling you, it's just right here. 
We cannot get away from it and we shouldn't try. It's just right here. The verse opens up. Verse 1. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol Him, all peoples. The word nations there means nations. <laughs> it's translated in the Hebrew all throughout Scripture, nations. In the New Testament, we'll look at shortly, that word can also be translated Gentiles, which would be nations that were not Israel. And it says, extol Him all peoples. The word for peoples is a word different than nations. Sometimes it's actually translated nation, but it also is translated peoples or tribes, meaning smaller groups of people. One might say people groups. And there he goes again, <laughs> talking about the people groups. Right here, two verses full of things to talk about. So I want you to just notice I got a real brief outline. We'll just walk through that and then make some comments, talk about some application. Probably we'll have some time for a little interaction tonight, so I'm excited about that. So get your thinking caps on. The first point says we should praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's right there. We have some reasons to praise the Lord. Verse 2 says, For He is... Uh, so sorry, for great is His steadfast love toward us. You ever thought about that? Man, aren't you glad that God's love is steadfast? It holds on, it endures, it, it doesn't fade. God's love, you might say, is everlasting because He is everlasting. Not because of, it's not based on our love, how lovable we are. It's based on the fact that His love is steadfast. Just think about it. Would we not be in trouble if God's love was dependent upon our faithfulness or upon us being lovable? <laughs> I mean, if we were to be honest, there are unlovable things about us that we don't even realize about ourselves. You know it? We're all still works in progress and there's things your buddy or your spouse could probably tell you about yourself you might not want to admit. <laughs> We can be so unlovable and so unfaithful. You know, I, I was, I want to, and I, I try so hard to encourage us to be transparent with one another and to be accountable and honest with each other. We can't have true discipleship and true growth, spiritual maturity, if we don't open up with the God's people and share and expose ourselves. I don't like being vulnerable. But I tell you, some of y'all, y'all might look at me and think, man, this guy, he loves the Lord. He loves his family. He went to the nations. Man, I'm, I'm just going to look up to Trey. And some of y'all look at him and think, he's just a kid and he's going to grow up one day. I'm probably kind of right in the middle. <laughs> I know one thing. I've said it a lot. I'm not special. And... There have been times in my life as a believer that I have done things against the conviction and the prodding of the Holy Spirit in my ear that I knew I shouldn't do and I did it anyway. I'll give you an example. Not that long ago, so, so you know, I'm just, I have not arrived. Felt, I found myself under a lot of stress, a lot of external pressure. Did not process it right. Didn't take it to the Lord like Philippians 4 said I should do. But I let myself be anxious. 
I had a seminary professor that told me, and I love this man desperately. He's, he's with Jesus now. He said to be discouraged and to be anxious is, is sin. The Bible says do not be discouraged. Do not be dismayed. Why? Because God is worthy of our faith and our trust. And some people pushed back and said, I don't know, discouragement's an emotion, probably not a sin. It's definitely disobedient. We're told not to do it. And I found myself so overwhelmed. And I didn't take it to the Lord like I should. I didn't talk to my best friend like I should about it and process it. I didn't talk to my, my wife, who is really my best friend about it, and piling up, piling up, piling up. Her and I are talking. I'm sitting down with Megan. Didn't have a lot of time. And I just start unloading this, this frustration and the stress. And the more I talk, the louder I get and the faster I talk. Next thing I know, I'm raising my voice and I'm, I'm talking to my wife in ways that I'd fight another man if they did. You know, that ain't right. That's not godly. That's not what God calls me to do. And I, I don't do that often, but it happens. And I'll just be honest with you tonight. I was not being faithful to her or to the Lord in that moment. Pains me, it embarrasses me to tell you that. I probably am not the only person that, could ever, that would have to confess that. I'm probably in pretty good company tonight. Maybe not good. <laughs> and do you know even when I act like that, childish, irreverent, God is faithful. Faithful to convict me. Faithful to forgive me and restore me. And faithful to dust me off. And faithful to look at me and see the perfection of His Son. Faithful to use me. Even though I'm so broken. God is faithful. He is praiseworthy. He's faithful when, when, when we are sinful. He's faithful to Himself and to His promises. And His love is based on His love. Verse 2 says, The faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. The faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. It doesn't end. It doesn't begin with my faithfulness and it doesn't end with my faithfulness. There's another example of faithfulness. God's Word is full of promises for His people and full of commands for us to trust Him. And in Philippians chapter 4, we're told to be anxious for nothing. But what? But with thanksgiving, by prayer and supplication, we're supposed to bring our requests before the Lord. So it's not don't worry, be happy. It's don't worry, pray to the One that can actually do something about it and trust Him with it. And when you do, then the peace of the Lord will guard your hearts and your mind. Right? He's faithful to those promises. See, sometimes we're tempted to say, yeah, yeah, Trey, that's preacher talk. Or yeah, yeah, that's Bible study talk. We're in church, so we're supposed to talk about the things of God. We're supposed to talk about trusting Him. And we're supposed to talk about resting in Him. But that's not real life. It's tax season. I lost my job. My son is, is, is going AWOL. My, you know, my, my brother's not, not doing right, or, you know, I got health problems, or, you know, my, my car note, I can't make my car note, and, and my car's not even running, and I can't get to work, and I'm not in good shape. And none of those are reasons for us to not trust God. 
Matter of fact, they're really, like Brother Ford talked about Sunday, those are reasons for us to be reminded that we need Him so much, right? We can trust Him in those times. i got a friend, a dear friend. He's serving in South Asia right now. He's there to tell people about the Lord. He's doing a great job at it. He's got a little daughter that's a little bit over a year old. She's been in the, the uh, hospital for three days. She had a fever and brought on seizures and she was having seizure after seizure and they couldn't control it. So they took her to the doctor, took her to the hospital, took her in the ambulance. She's still not very uh, coherent. Right now, I talked to him this morning. Talked together on the phone, prayed together, cried together. Right now, it's completely out of his hands. There's nothing, nothing he can do to help that little, precious little, sweet, beautiful baby girl. But he's getting phone call after phone call, email after email, message after message from people all over the world saying, we are praying for you. We're praying for your family. We're praying for her. And you know what he's choosing to do? He's resting in the Lord. Why? Because God is faithful. And his family statement is, God never promised that we wouldn't have hard times. It doesn't mean that we're not in His will when we do have hard times. It doesn't mean He should pack up and run home. It means that right where He is, right now in His crisis, He is to trust the Lord and that's what He's doing. And you know what He did in the ambulance? Share the Gospel with two people. Isn't that good? I don't think that I'd do that. I don't think that I'd have the wherewithal. <laughs> he did. Why? Because God is faithful. When we get a glimpse, a taste, a, a remembrance of this faithful Lord of ours, when we're reminded of how faithful He's been in each of our lives, day after day, sometimes when we're not faithful, sometimes when we are being faithful, we need Him even more when we realize in those times of crisis. But when we are reminded of His faithfulness, of His love and his, his steadfast love that endures forever, it should spark in our hearts this, this, this worship, this praise. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you're excited about something and you just can't help but talk about it, it's on the tip of your tongue. Could be a grandchild. Could be this awesome flavor of cheesecake that you had this weekend. Could be a sports team. It should be Jesus. Right? Because He's so good. And He's so faithful. And He has a plan. And He includes us in His plan. You know, this, this chapter right here when it says, Praise the Lord all nations, extol Him all peoples for His steadfast love toward us and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. This, this verse, this chapter, this is not in isolation. This is not merely a theme of the Psalms. It's not merely a theme, obviously, of the New Testament. This is a theme of all Scripture. God belongs. He, all the nations belong to Him. 
And His plan is and has been for all nations. Think about the promises made in the book of Genesis. Think about when He told Abraham, I will bless you and make you a father of many nations and I will be a blessing to you and, and by you and by your lineage and by Jesus through your lineage, all the families of the world shall be blessed. The Psalms talks about it. Isaiah. I've heard people refer to Isaiah as the gospel of Isaiah because there's so much prophecy of the gospel and the Messiah. The life of Jesus in the Gospels. He lives out all of those prophecies of the Messiah. He proclaims the kingdom of God. He sends His disciples to where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. He told them, as you are going, make disciples of all nations. The book of Revelation brings it to fruition. We see it all throughout the book of Acts. It's funny. I was talking about it with, with Brother Jason earlier. It seemed like even Jesus' disciples, like Peter, were a little hesitant at first to go to the Gentiles. It doesn't seem like it is obvious. But the Gospel marched on straight to the Gentiles. The power of God was seen and His name was praised. You know Revelation 7-9. The vision that John had of Jesus on His throne and all the saints clothed in white robes from every tongue, tribe, nation, every people. We see a glimpse of that in Psalm 117. This is the Father's heart. My buddy Jimmy talked about that last week. All throughout Scripture, you see the Father's heart for the nations, for the world, for all peoples. If that's our Father's heart, it should be the heart of His children. I'm thankful that it's the vision of our fellowship here, expanding His kingdom across the street and around the world. Why? Why? It tells us right here. Praise the Lord. Extol Him. For great is His steadfast love toward us. The reason that we want to go out and proclaim His goodness is because of how good He is and how worthy He is of the worship of all peoples. Look at the second point on here. We must call all peoples to praise the Lord. Verse 1 is actually quoted in Romans chapter 15, verse 11. It says in verse 1, Praise the Lord, all nations. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol Him, all peoples, which means to give praise, to worship. All peoples. I mentioned a minute ago, peoples here is not just nations, but it's smaller groups like tribes. In Romans chapter 15, I want to, I want to take this verse, just like Paul did. We'll go all the way back to Romans chapter 15. Now you know kind of the overview of Romans. Brother Tommy gave a really good overview of Romans not that long ago. You see the need of salvation. You see how God offers salvation. And you see the byproduct of salvation, if you will, the sanctification in the book of Romans. It's a wonderful, wonderful, deep 
theological book. In chapter 15 of book, the book of Romans, this psalm is quoted along with several other Old Testament passages. If you look at verse 8, you'll see this section of Scripture I'm going to read. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. Who is that? The Jews. To show God's truthfulness. Why? In order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. Let me ask you a question. Do you think throughout the years as you read the Old Testament that the Israelites needed mercy? <laughs> I'm a little bit ahead. <laughs> I knew that I would need to be ahead, so I started the chronological reading a little bit early. <laughs> so I'm maybe a little bit ahead of where you are in your chronological reading. Probably wherever you are, you can see that they needed mercy also. But I just got finished reading about the Exodus. They saw God's power in the plagues. They saw His power when God rescued them from Pharaoh's army and split, divided the Red Sea and they walked through it as on dry ground. And then it came crashing down onto the, the Egyptian army. They saw God's power when He provided manna and quail and fresh water. They heard His voice and the thunder of the mountain and were afraid. God was giving them the law. He called Moses and Aaron and 70 elders to come and they saw God. And then He called Moses to come a little bit further up on the mountain. And it says that He inscribed the law on those tablets with His finger. And Moses was gone too long, so what did the Israelites do? I just, I just read this today. They said, this fellow's been gone too long. What if he doesn't come back? What are we going to do? We need a God to worship. Aaron, make us a God. So he said, alright, give me your earrings of gold and give me some gold. And They made a golden calf and it says that they fashioned it. Later, Aaron just tried to act like it, they put the gold in the fire and the calf came out. Moses wasn't borrowing none of that. He was so angry when he came down, he threw the stones, busted them everywhere, burned up the gold, grinded it into powder, and put it in the water and made them drink it. Furious. God was ready to wipe them out and start over with Moses. Moses reminded God, and that's something, of His faithfulness and His promises and how He had planned to bring this people out for His namesake. And for His namesake, for His namesake, He was faithful to them. Even when they were not faithful. <laughs> Isn't that good? Time after time after time, they turned from Him. They did not trust Him. They did not rest in Him. And time after time, 
the lineage of Christ kept on marching on. God continued to have a remnant. He continued to put them into judgment for the sake of repentance and restoration. And He would rescue them and they would serve Him and they would grow comfortable and they would turn from Him and He would send judgment. He would get their attention and they would repent and He would rescue them. And this cycle goes on and on. And sometimes it goes on in our lives just like that. doesn't have to. It does not have to be like that in our lives. But it says right here in Romans chapter 15, Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. He was merciful. Merciful to the Hebrews, to those, the Israelites. Merciful today, merciful to us, His people. We today, those of us who are in Christ, are God's chosen people. We are His holy nation. We are His kingdom of priests. It continues in verse 9. Quotes, there's a quote from 2 Samuel chapter 22, and that same verse is quoted in Psalm 18.49. It says, Therefore, I will praise you among the nations or among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Verse 10, and again it said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. That's Deut Deuteronomy 32. And again, verse 11, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles or nations, and let all the peoples extol Him. That's Psalm 117, verse 1. And then again, verse 12, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come. Do you know who that is? That's Jesus. The root of Jesse will come, and He who arises to rule the Gentiles in Him. The Gentiles will hope. All of these things pointing to the fact that all nations, not just one people, are to know and to worship God and that His plan of salvation is for all peoples, all nations. In this psalm, it's very short, quoted in Romans chapter 15, we learn that God's people, first it was the Israelites and now it's all of us, God's people are to point unbelievers to His mercy. I learned this from my wife. She talks freely, openly, not embarrassed, not worried about the hearer. Not worried that the hearer may not understand what she's talking about. Because sometimes, if we're honest, I feel like somebody might not understand spiritual things, therefore they might think I'm kind of a fruit loop if I start talking too much about religious things to them. You know, like, this guy's a weirdo. Look out for him. <laughs> don't, don't get stuck alone in the coffee room with Trey. That guy's easy. Woo! You know, because sometimes people don't have spiritual ears. 
But my wife is so good at just sharing with others about what God's teaching her. Like it would be so natural after a Sunday service like we had to be sitting around the, the watering hole at, at work and say, man, the Lord was moving Sunday morning at our church. They may not have spiritual ears, but it might perk them up a little bit and just naturally say, man, I was so encouraged by the message. We're talking about what to do in a crisis. I imagine a lot of unbeliever friends of yours have go through crises as well. It might perk up a little more. And man, he preached and talked about trusting the Lord and turning back to Him and how God rescued those people in supernatural ways. And man, we had an invitation and people started coming down and praying at the altar. It was an amazing thing. I didn't want to leave. I wanted to stay and just talk freely with those people in your life about what God's doing in your life spiritually. Maybe... I was riding. To, I used. To, I remember going. I went to Northwest, and I would commute back and forth from Hernando. I'd go down to Senatobia, and every morning, I'd either listen to, to John MacArthur, Chuck Swindoll, or Adrian Rogers. Doesn't matter. It's a trifecta. I'd get out of my car. I mean, I'd be running late because I wanted to finish the sermon. And I'd get out wiping tears off my eyes because it was so exciting about Jesus. Going to class, ready, you know. I'd see a buddy of mine say, man, man, Adrian Rogers was bringing it this morning, you know. Let me tell you about it. Well, I had a friend that I pointed to Adrian Rogers and he said, oh, I don't like them old hollering preachers. And I thought, how can you not like Adrian Rogers? I tried, you know. He did think I was a Fruit Loop. He was talking about it. I was telling him about a Christian comedian. He's like, that sounds like an oxymoron. And I'm like, why, man? Am I that dull? Like, you know, like I'm your like example of a believer. Am I that boring? You know? He's like, How can you be a Christian comedian? I was like, This guy's funny, you know, you don't have to cuss to be funny. It doesn't matter if we look funny or if we're not even received. The praise of our faithful God should be on our lips. And we should be telling of his mercy day by day so that those around us who may not know Him can be exposed to His faithfulness. And remember what Peter said. This was in the context of suffering well. Sometimes we suffer for being a believer. But he said, always be ready to give an account for the hope that lies within you. I failed at it again. Y'all going to think I don't ever do anything right. I'll tell you about all my failures. I was at the doctor the other day with my son. We came back from overseas because of his illness. He hadn't had any problems in months, and we were going for just a regular checkup, and they were amazed at how well he was doing. Perfect time to talk about Jesus, right? I missed it. Tran conversation transitioned, and later I was walking out thinking, what on earth was I thinking? Like, I should have been praising... I'm preaching on it. I should have been praising Jesus for His mercy. I should have been telling them of His faithfulness. And you know what? I'll be real honest with you. In the back of my mind, I thought, well, they believe in science, so think I'm kind of foolish if I'm talking about miracles. Now, I'm a preacher and I had that thought. That ain't no good. I don't think I'm alone. I don't. I don't want to stay there. I repent of that. <laughs> That's wrong. Ye of little faith. But sometimes we have those thoughts, right? Like if I start talking too much, I'm, they're going to think I'm some weird fanatic and then they're not even going to listen to me. 
No, I should have been saying, y'all might not believe in miracles. They might. But i tell you why he's healed. I'll tell you why. Because a whole lot of folks were praying. It wasn't your medicine. Because you didn't give him any. They were amazed that he didn't need any, that he was doing so well without medicine. What a perfect opportunity to tell them. It's because of Jesus. And I missed it. I missed it. And I regret that. I confess it. It was wrong. I don't want to be controlled by failures. You know why? Because God's faithful. So next time, pray for me. Maybe I'll do better. And maybe tomorrow, when you get to the office, or to class, or to, the, to visit whoever you're visiting at the hospital, or in your normal Bible study, or at the grocery store, or at the bank, or wherever you find yourself, and God gives you that opportunity to talk about His mercy and to praise Him for who He is. Maybe you'll take that chance. Maybe you'll praise Him for who He is and for what He's done. Tell Him about His faithfulness in your life. Tell Him about His mercy and His love that endures forever. And even when you blow it, it's still there. He's still faithful. Man, I'm so thankful that God, His mercy is new every day. Aren't you thankful for that? Doesn't it make you want to trust Him? Doesn't it make you want to praise Him? Doesn't it make you want to just rest in Him? We have no need to fret. We have no need to be controlled by fear. His perfect love drives out fear. We can rest in that. I was thinking about something else. Let me read the main point to you. We should be driven to praise as we remember the Lord's faithfulness. And our praise should inspire and point others to seek His face. Does your life inspire others to seek His face? Does your life... Is your speech seasoned with grace in such a way that it points others to the Lord? Does the way that you respond to conflict or to crisis, or anything in between, does that point other people to seek His face? How does this apply? Praise the Lord. It's very simple. Spelled out right there. Two times it says in two verses, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Speak well of Him. Speak well to Him. Worship Him. Praise the Lord. That can be in song it can be through prayer. It can be through obedience. It can be through reading His Word back to Him. Praise the Lord on a daily basis. I think when we remember His faithfulness in our life, it's so much easier to praise Him for who He is. And when we're praising Him for who He is and we're excited about who He is in our life, it's so much easier to naturally just conversationally talk about it to other people. Don't be ashamed and don't be afraid to tell others of His faithfulness. Tell others of His faithfulness. I'm reminded of Romans chapter 10. Verse 13 says, All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how are they going to call on whom they've not believed? And how are they going to believe in whom they've not heard? And how are they going to hear without a preacher? That's not vocational preacher. That's proclaimer of the Gospel. That's every believer in this room. How will they hear unless we open our mouth and tell them? 
And if they don't hear, how will they believe? And if they don't believe, how will they call on Him? They can't. Rhetorical questions. They can't. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we need to praise the Lord and we need to tell others of His faithfulness. Now I want to get real practical, okay? And you've heard me talk like this before. Sometimes us preachers are guilty of telling you what you should do, but we don't really help you know how to do it. I'm guilty of that. But real practical. You might say, get off my toes, man. Like, stick to just telling us what to do. I want everybody in this room to go home and pray and ask God, who do you want me to be faithful to share the Gospel with? You don't have to wait till you get home. You can start writing right now if He puts them on your heart. Make a list. And I challenge you, don't stop praying until you get five people. Five people that you can pray for daily. Multiple times a day. God, would you please save them? God, would you please open their eyes? God, would you please soften their heart? God, would you please draw them to yourself? God, would you make them sick of the sin in their life? Would you show them how empty their life is without you? Would you please, God, draw them to yourself? What is impossible for man is not impossible for God. Lord, their heart is hard and I can't talk to them and convince them, but you can do it. And pray fervently for them. And as you do, I promise you that beware. He'll give you opportunities to teach, to share the gospel. I've told you this before. It's been a while. When I first got saved, I was 22. I was working for the county doing maintenance work. So I got to bump into folks all across the whole county. It was great. Started praying for people by name. And began to notice opportunities that the Lord was giving me to share. More often than I like to admit, I chickened out. And do you know what I realized about a month later? I stopped praying for them. It was almost like subconsciously I knew the more I pray for them, the chances I see to share, and then I chicken out, so I'm just going to stop praying. And I think that we find ourselves in that pattern more than we'd like to admit. And you might even have had that thought, well, I don't want to start praying for folks. What if God wants me to share the gospel with them? Let's get practical. Let's get real. Make a list. Minimum of five people. You can pray for a hundred if you want. Pray for them for as long as it takes. Look for opportunities to share. Look for opportunities to tell them about what God's doing in your life. Do you know if I'm in, in India and I say, does anybody have a testimony? They don't necessarily share every single time about how they got saved, but they give you a real life, updated testimony of God's mercy and grace in their life. Every one of us should be bubbling over with examples of God's faithfulness in our life. Every one of us. He's still faithful. His faithfulness is eternal. Every single day we have an example of His faithfulness to share. Every day we should have an example of the Word that He used to speak to us that morning. Every week we have an example of a sermon that we heard. What God's doing in and around us to share with people in our lives. Every Connect Group lesson ends with asking you, in that lesson there's a set of things to ask. Who should you share this story with this week? Every week. 
You have opportunities. So pray for those people on your list and look for chances to give a testimony of God's mercy and His grace and His faithfulness. Be ready to give an account for the hope that lies within you. Be ready. Practice if you need to, sharing your testimony of how you came to Christ. A very simple breakdown example that Paul gave us in the book of Acts. Our life before Christ. Basically, why we needed Jesus. How we came to know Him and how He's at work in our life now. Since coming to know Him, I didn't just go down the aisle one day and say a prayer and then keep on doing the same old thing. Man, when I surrendered to Christ, He put me on a whole new path. And my life has been changing and I'm convicted of sin that I didn't even know was there yesterday because constantly He's showing me and changing me. Constantly, faithfully disciplining me and loving me enough to make me more like Jesus. And when I blow it, He's still faithful. When I fail, He's still faithful. When I doubt, He's still faithful. Also, you need to know how to share the Gospel. I love the Romans road. It's so simple. Straight out of the Bible. You can write this down to get room. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It says, All of sin and fall short of God's glory. You can get yourself a pocket Bible. These days, you don't really need one because you got like a pocket computer, right? What I did back before these things, I had a little bitty pocket Bible. Before I could memorize all those verses, in the front of the Bible, the very single front, right there, I, sorry, I wrote down Romans 3.23. And then when I turned to Romans 3.23, I had it underlined. And then I had written at the top the next verse, Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And then you, I turn to Romans 6.23 and it'd be underlined. At the top of that page it'd be Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Kind of strange that you have to go backwards the way that our, our minds think. But Romans 5.8 says, God proves His love for us or He demonstrates His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not once we cleaned our life up, but right where we were, He met us when we couldn't get to Him. And I'd have Romans 5, 8 underlined. And at the top of that, I'd have Romans 10, 9. Romans 10, 9. And then I'd turn to the last one. Romans 10, 9 says, if we confess Him as Lord, sorry, yeah, and believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead, then we'll be saved. To confess Jesus as Lord is a verbal contract. You're my boss. I'm not. I surrender. Meaning I turn to you. And to believe that God raised from the dead is to believe the Gospel. Jesus died for our sin. He was buried. And three days later, He conquered the grave. And He's alive right now. And He can, call, he can save anyone who calls on His name. And then just ask a simple question. What about you? Not do you believe it. Merely. But do you need to receive this gift of salvation? Are you willing to repent and trust Christ? Are you willing to call Him Lord and receive this gift of salvation? That's so simple. And here's what I have found over the years. 
There have been times where I presented the gospel that I felt was pretty eloquent. Like, man, that was so clear. And people are like, I don't understand. And there have been times where I fumbled and bumbled around so much, I thought there's no way that anybody's going to understand this. And people have gotten saved. It's not so much about us. It's about His Word and His Spirit. But aren't you glad that He would use us? He doesn't need any one of us. I try not to ever pray, God, if you need me. Nope. He don't need But He uses us. He allows us to participate in this wonderful work of seeing people rescued, snatched from the flames of hell and saved forevermore and ushered into the kingdom and worshiping Him for who He is. That's what it's all about. Don't you think that our God deserves the worship of all nations? I told you we weren't going to get out early. One more thing. Our mission as a church is to expand His kingdom across the street and around the world. See it? It's not by accident that expanding His kingdom is in huge letters. Why? We're commanded to. But we desire. John Piper said, missions exist because worship doesn't. There are people all across this world that have yet to hear of God's goodness and they are worshiping false gods. False gods that if you knock them over, you know what happens? They lay there. They can't get up. They can't even cuss you out. Can't do anything but lay there because they're not God at all. And people are bowing down and people are bringing these, these gifts of sacrifices and they're worshiping these things. It's demonic. And they should be worshiping God because He's their Creator. He's the one that created them in His image. He is the one who has purchased their soul. He is the one that deserves their worship. Now last week, Jimmy reminded us we don't all have to go to the nations, but if we're faithful to make disciples right here and train them to do these things... They may be who God thrust out as laborers in the harvest. But I got another thought for you. I'd almost be willing to bet if I was a gambling man, I might put money on this statement. I'll say it in a way that I can't be wrong. Either you have or you will in your lifetime run into a doctor or a store clerk, or a computer technician, or a hotel worker that belongs to a different country. Is that a true statement? If you haven't, you will. Stick around long enough. You don't have to leave Hernando, Hernando, Mississippi, to run into the nations. Much less the metro Memphis area. We have people living in the metro Memphis area that belong to unreached, unengaged people groups. What? Right here. 
the nations are here. The peoples, the tribes, they're here. What are we going to do with that? You don't have to have a passport. You don't have to get on an airplane. I had a friend. I texted him one day. He said, hey man, i got something for you to pray about. He said, let me have it. You ever been on an on a international mission trip? He replied back, I don't do planes. <laughs> you don't have to. The nations are here. And they need to be worshiping Jesus as well. And I tell you something else. There's a, a large Nepali uh, area, uh, group of folks in the Memphis area, and I heard reports that they've been reached and sent back to Nepal to their people with the gospel. How cool is that? Reaching them, equipping them, sending them back. The food! The nations are here. None of us are exempt. The Great Commission is very real and very attainable right now, right here. One last thing. Philippians 4. I want to just, this is a pastoral moment. Okay, I'm going to take off my send you out hat, put on my pastor hat. I love y'all. God loves y'all. He's a good father. I know that we go through some excruciating times in life. Pain and sadness and fear. Those things are real. But Philippians 4 tells us not to be anxious, but to trust God. Turn, let that anxious thought be a tripwire that automatically causes you to pray. And you take your prayers to God. And every time that concern surfaces itself again, pray to God and remember His faithfulness. And remember His bigness. Remember His love. Remember Romans 5.8. Sometimes the devil likes to whisper in your ear, if God loves you, why would He let you go through that? And all you have to do is remember Romans 5.8. God proves His love for us. And then while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were His enemies, spitting in His face, Jesus poured out His blood. Was it here? I've been listening to a lot of different sermons lately. can't remember where they're all from. But recently I heard a preacher say that someone asked him, God, or preacher, preacher, where was God when my son died? Was that here? And the preacher said, right where he was when his son died. Take your request, take your concerns, take your fears, take your frustrations, take your, your, your worries, take them to Jesus. Pray and trust God. And the Bible is true. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds. Supernaturally, when we do that. And when we do that, you know what's going to happen? His praise is going to be in our lips. <laughs> and then we get to tell of His faithfulness. And then people get saved. Isn't that good? It sounds so easy. 